All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words, and Happy New Year. Uh, this is our, actually our first episode of 2018. We skipped last week, and my life felt very empty on Thursday night. <laughs> um, but Diana was off in Vegas, so I'll give her a pass yes. on uh, not returning to a hotel room at 8 o'clock to broadcast Wine, Women, and Words from Las Vegas. <laughs> So we do have a special, well, two special guests uh, with us uh, this evening. We have uh, the authors, JJ Gesher, Joyce, and Janet. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Delighted to be here. And, um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. By the way, I'm Joyce. And I'm Janet. <laughs> and we'll be discussing your debut novel, A Narrow Bridge, uh, which I'm very excited to read. Um, after reading some reviews and getting an idea of what it's about and, and about both of you. So it sounds like a, an amazing book. I'm really excited to read it eventually. It's a good primer for us because both Joyce and Janet will be back on with us in November because this will be our November book of the month. I wasn't sure if it was confirmed, so I wasn't going to say anything about it. But <laughs> Well, yes. it's confirmed now. I've confirmed them, whether they like it or not. No, no, we're we're in, we're in. We're thrilled to be using this format. We have we do a lot of uh, visits to book groups, so this is, and I mean some of them are physical, and it's in the LA area, but we've also done a few via Skype. So this is another new media for us to hopefully connect with some new readers. Very exciting. And you'll be at the Boca de Oro uh, Book Festival in March as well. Yes, we can't wait. It's on our calendar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One day. Sorry, Michelle, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think you're going to have to set up a laptop at Boca de Oro so I can just kind of hang out and watch. <laughs> mm -hmm. okay. and, and drink wine and, and be sad that I'm not there. <laughs> You'll be our official peanut gallery. Yes. <laughs> I'm so good at that, too. So um, I. No, just to kind of kick us off, um, and we were talking uh, just a couple seconds ago before we went live about your pen name. Um, so, and I did a little research, and I kind of stumbled across the fact that Gesher is the Hebrew word for bridge. Right. And um, obviously, the title is a narrow bridge, and it all kind of ties together. So can you tell us a little bit about how you decided on the pen name? Well, for, first of all, the need for a pen name came from our publisher. Um, she did not want two names on the front or the spine of the novel because uh, she felt that that might turn off some readers, even though we're starting to see it more and more. Um, but there are a lot of writing duos that do use a pen name, and that's what she encouraged. We're not hiding this as some secret. You turn over the book and on the back, our names are, are there. But that was the impetus for, um, for, for the pen name. And as far as, uh, you've already given it away. I mean, it's just a translation of one of the, of, of the word bridge. But it also, it sounds like a last name. So J for Janet, J for Joyce, guess you. Well, it's the perfect, I mean, like you said, it sounds like a last name. And um, I wouldn't have even thought that there was, you know, a, a hidden meaning behind it. Um, but one of the um, 
you know, the, the whole thesis or the central theme or one of the central themes of your book is from, I was reading, it's from a, a teaching by a 19th century rabbi that life is a narrow bridge, but the important thing is not to be afraid. So I feel like it all comes full circle. You know, the name is Bridge and, and the title. So I think it it was a really clever name to pick. You know what? The, the quote triggered us off in a very interesting way. I don't know about you, but I'm afraid of heights. I can't deal with heights at all. So if I imagined myself crossing a very narrow bridge across a, a, a river in a jungle, I would have to get down on my hands and knees to get across it. And I would also need somebody in front of me going, come on, you can do it. You can do it. So this is about a place in life where that bridge and crossing that bridge is really hard. And so that's why we used that phrase and that image. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it, it's a very, and like you said, I'm terrified of heights. I get scared if I have to get up on the kitchen counter to get something from the top shelf. Right. So, so I can, it, it's a very powerful imagery to, to use that metaphor for life. Um, but, and the novel itself is a, really about, you know, finding yourself and coming back after a huge life loss. Right. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit um, where the idea came from for the story? Yeah, basically it came from my car and the radio. <laughs> okay, as you can see from the, where we're sitting, Janet and I have separate offices in separate houses. And we go back and forth so that one of us doesn't feel guilty or abused. <laughs> we need to use houses. And I was on the freeway one day, stuck in traffic as you are wont to be in Los Angeles. And on the radio came Ben Harper's song, Church Steps. And the lyrics to this are, I sat down upon the church house steps with all I have lost and all I've been blessed. I raised my hand to the sky and hung my head and wept. And I thought, what would make a man be so bereft that he would cry on the steps of a church? And I went to Janet's house and I went, is this a story? And she said, it's, it's an, it is an amazing image. And sometimes that is the, the starting point for a story is really just a picture. I, I, I kind of explain it to people like, like people watching at an airport that you, you start with the person, we started with this character, we knew what he was doing and we had to figure out why. And it, it took a lot of exploration and a lot of dealing with our own fears about living in the modern world, imagining the worst thing that could possibly happen and how do you climb out of that, so. And one of the things I loved, I was able to uh, meet with Joyce at a tea for the Women's National Book Association and I loved how she talked about the research, the research that went into this. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Michelle, you're gonna love this. It was really fascinating. <laughs> you wanna take that, Janet, or should I? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the Jewish research and then you can do the, uh, if, if you read the, the, the back of the book or, or any of the summaries, you'll know that we explore two very different worlds. One of them is the world of Orthodox Judaism which our main character, Jacob, he comes from a, a very religious family in Brooklyn. 
Um, although he is religious, he is aware of what goes on in the, in the modern world. He does not hide his head. Um, and the research into orthodoxy came kind of natural to both of us because, first of all, because we're both Jewish. Now, we're reform, we're secular, we are secular Jews, but we are both connected to orthodoxy, either through blood or marriage. My brother became orthodox when, I would say, in his uh, late 20s, and he has actually moved to Israel, and he was a, a source for me sometimes when I had questions. And also, having been a Jewish educator, there were a couple of rabbis and people that I could call on um, to help us out with with the with the Jewish side of the research. But I think what was far more interesting was the experience that we had in researching the Baptist side, the the African American. And Joyce, you can take that one. Well, uh, knowing something and knowing something are vastly different. So all of a sudden we were faced with that part of what we were writing about. We went, we don't have a clue truly what this is about. Can we write about it authentically? Are we uh, absorbing somebody else's culture inappropriately? How do we do this? So we went to a cantor, a local cantor, and we asked him who is the best gospel church in the area. And he told us the broadest ministry in Pacoima, Okay, we called the broadest ministry, we called their choir director and asked if we could come and visit. Absolutely. We walked into this church, there were few white faces in that church. We were among the few. Welcomed, completely welcomed, completely open, completely sharing. And we sat there week after week and absorbed as much as we could of this church culture so that we could write about it authentically. That's where it came from. They, they, were, they were amazing to us in the way they embraced us. And also just the experience itself of being in a, a gospel church and watching the depth of emotion that came not only from, from the people on, on the pulpit, but from, um, from the members of the congregation. And we absorbed details like how they dressed. But I think more than anything, what she said about knowing, it was about learning the feeling and trying to capture that because the church that we visited, even though it is a traditional gospel church, it's still in Los Angeles, so it's very urban. And our setting is, uh, is you know, in the deep south in a small town. So I think what we were really looking for is the feeling, the, the spirituality and the communication and the creation of community that happens in a real church setting. Oh, absolutely. And, um for you know, for readers like me, like I have very little working knowledge of the Jewish faith and the Baptist faith. I'm a very, very lapsed Catholic. So you know, after <laughs> woman, <laughs> you know, after you have these these two faiths that are so rich in their traditions and their, um, you know, their belief system and you know once you research all of that how did you break that down and, and incorporate it into your novel in a way that someone like me who has no working knowledge of it is able to you know to connect with it well hopefully we did <laughs> <laughs> i think we i think you did too based on on the reviews that i was reading it, it's it connected with almost every reader that posted a review so i think you absolutely did you know what? I, I, I'm going to venture 
something here. I'm not sure if this is right, but neither Ken nor I are particularly religious. It's it's not like we're lapsed, you know. It's more cultural for us than it is observance. And yet when we go home or when we went to church, what we found was there was a sense of community that pervaded all of that. It didn't matter whether you were observant or not. There was a sense of community and reaching out because everybody is looking for an answer of some sort. Everybody, whether you find it in the in yoga or whether you find it in the dojo or whether you find it among your small group of friends or whether you or find your book club, your book club. Yeah, it's it, wherever you find it, we're all reaching out. And that reaching out and finding that commonality, I think, was is what reads. And and it, it is that commonality, like what do all human beings have in common? And one of the things is the way that we react to sadness. It's our loneliness, our human needs for connection, for feeling a part of something, especially when our faith or our character's faith is brought into question. Because even though he has a crisis of faith because of what has happened to him, he still has, he's still a human being. And it doesn't really matter what, you know, I mean, it's, it sounds very Pollyannish, but I really do believe this, that it doesn't matter it, what the religion or the color of the skin or the socioeconomic background, we're all human beings. And especially in these divisive times that we live in, we are looking for ways that we can uh, find common bonds, not things that drive us apart. So that was important. Absolutely. Especially right now when there are so many things that can drive us apart, just as an observation, I think it's so important for arts and literature to help us remember that there's more that connects us than there is that, that tears us apart. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I'm going to get poetic for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, art and literature can reach us in a place that, that, is, is very, I mean, it's, it is kind of the same thing as, as the spirituality. It can reach you in a place that is beyond words. And speaking of beyond words, that was another component that brought the two communities together. And that was music, because music is very important to our Jewish character. And also because he is crying on the steps of a church and it is a gospel church that nurses him back to himself. I was just going to ask about that, uh, since music is important to the characters, is that something that was important to both of you as well? I'll start with that one. And, and the answer is yes. I, I grew up in a very musical family. My mother was a synagogue choir director. She actually started as a, a concert pianist. And I think it, had she lived in my generation or your generation, she might have ended up with a, with a philharmonic somewhere. But, you know, she was a woman very much of that generation. In other words, she was born in 1930. And so she became a music teacher. And from a music teacher, she became a choir director. So I spent a lot of my childhood childhood sitting in the front row right behind the organ and I, sometimes I'd be flipping the pages for her but I was surrounded by liturgical music and because of her background also in classical music music was everywhere in my house and so that that, that is a, a part of of who I am even though I miss the uh, musical talent gene sorry mom <laughs> 
Sorry, I tried. Okay, so music was absolutely nowhere in my house. <laughs> my so parents, this is why we're good partners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a hi-fi in the living room that you would open up and there would be comedy records on it. You know, one or two show tunes, comedy records, and Gershwin. That was it. There was no other music in my house. If it weren't for summer camp and people with guitars, I wouldn't have had any. My entire musical talent was playing the Glockenspiel. Oh <laughs> in grammar school, that was it. My entire musical talent. But, but my dad was a dry cleaner, right? And mm -hmm. in the back of his dry cleaning plant was the presser, Viola. And Viola, it's a very boring job. She worked there for 20 years. Boring, boring. What she would do was sing hymns and sing gospel all day long to keep herself, you know, occupied. I, the child of immigrants, where do you go after school? You go to where your parents work. Mm -hmm. So I was in my dad's dry cleaning plant. Why it's called a plant, I don't know. It's about 20 by 20, but in his dry cleaning plant. And I'm going back with Viola and she would teach me the songs. And then she would teach me the harmonies. And then somewhere when I was about 10, after we had done a fabulous rendition of something, she said to my father, Bernie, I'm taking this girl to church. He went, that's okay with me. <laughs> Just bring her home with you. <laughs> that's, those are great stories to, to know where music came from in your lives. I mean, I just, I am not musically inclined at all. Um, but I just remember thinking my mom was the coolest mom in the world because she knew every single song on the radio whenever <laughs> we would drive to school. And now I know all the songs on the radio, but I hope my daughter inherits a better singing voice than, than I can give her. <laughs> Enthusiasm is, counts for a lot. Right? <laughs> yeah. Both of my parents are uh, musicians. My mom really? um, sings through her church, and I grew up with all the church singing and everything. And she was the worship leader. Cause we, though Michelle, you don't know much about the Baptist um, religion. I am a very, well, I don't wanna say lapsed Pentecostal cause I kind of ran away from that as much as I could when I turned, when I got to college. Um, so she was worship leader, she was all of that. So I grew up around that and both of them were guitar players. And that's actually because of the guitar that was why they met. Yeah. Um, my, oh, that's nice. my dad started giving her guitar lessons and one thing led to another. And See, at least you could use that. The glockenspiel doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lovely story. It's very romantic. It doesn't conjure images of flowers and wine. And stuff. <laughs> so I'm sure you could probably get a good glockenspiel romance song for Valentine's Day. I don't, you know, Joyce, we really, we do have to use the glockenspiel. I mean, just for the word itself, you gotta you to work that into a book somewhere. The marching band somewhere. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about your writing process. How did that work with the two of you? I've always wondered how that works out with some people, because I mean, how do you guys did it? do it? Well, I'll start and then Janet can Okay, take. good, good. Um, Essentially, what the primary thing you have to do is put your ego aside, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have a good sense of humor and put your ego aside because 
somebody's going to disagree with you. Somebody's going to have an opinion that's different than yours. So how do you find that right place? I mean, Janet will go through the method, but I will tell you this, when we hit a place that makes us either both laugh or makes us both cry, we know it's right. And um, Janet, why don't you tell them the process? That we well, the, the answer to the process question is that we're two women. That's where it starts. And women like to talk. And I think Joyce and I in particular like to talk. We, we're very open with each other. We've become such dear friends. We share everything. But at the beginning of every story is a process of talking and of just a lot of what ifs or what do you think would happen or kind of just kind of asking each other or, you know, questions that will elicit some kind of emotional response. And, and we see where that goes. Now, we, we did start out as screenwriters and screenwriters very typically do work in tandem. So in, in duos or sometimes you'll have even a room full of writers, as, as you know. So we did use a lot in working on a novel that we had used as screenwriters. In other words, that we block out scenes or chapters and then um, we, I mean, we work a four day schedule and we take our work pretty darn seriously. So if we meet uh, on Monday and we talk and we look at our outline and we see where we are in the story and we talk through that chapter, then on Tuesday we each go home and write. We don't write the same thing. We write different things. We write different parts of the same chapter. We do try to work in a more or less linear way, at least on the first draft. And then Wednesday, we come back together and we, and, and this is scary sometimes. And this is when we, we, we share our work and we say, you know, sometimes you, you'll work, you'll look at the outline or you'll think about the ideas and they don't work and you go off on a tangent and sometimes you follow them very closely. Um, but that it's it's the Tuesday Thursday days the days that we work individually that create the draft and I say just a draft because I, I think that's uh, you also have to let go of perfectionism when you work in a, in tandem you have to you have to say okay we just got to get we got to get the words on the page we got to know where we're going and then it creates a draft and then we go back to the beginning and we and we look for holes we look for um uh you know ways to to punch up the plot or to explore aspects of character that we hadn't and you know so, i mean people say how many you know when, when somebody tells you it takes them four years or ten years to write a novel believe it because that process of of inventing getting it down and then going back and rewriting it and then maybe getting some some voices to read the work and, and decide, you know, give us some feedback. But we act as each other's editors. So we, we actually produce, you know, some some good drafts. But there are many of them ending with a final draft where we literally sit next to next to each other and read every word out loud. It's tedious, mm -hmm. especially because some of the chapters we feel like we just finished. But it's amazing what you can hear. Mm -hmm. when you when you read out loud that you don't necessarily see when you're looking at a screen or a page so that's also a big part of our process is that that final polish we find that we you know we we use words a little too you know uh, uh, some word we use too often uh, sometimes that we'll find repetitions you know there's all kinds of things that that come up in the polish as well that it's great we've got two pairs of eyes you know working on the same material so that I've read that before that um, you should always read your work out loud to catch any uh, 
any snags in, in the narrative that you may not catch when you're actually reading it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you're the first, oh, well, I think it's the first time that it's ever come up, but we've never asked anyone else if they read their work out loud. But I, I think that's really interesting that you do that. Mm -hmm. You know what also, if you're reading it out loud, like if Janet's reading something, she'll insert a word that's not there. Mm-hmm. And you have to go, oh wait, you said this. Did you mean yeah. that? And you it's go, interesting. Mm -hmm. And I found even the opposite for myself because I mean, even though I'm not published yet, I still do like the readings and I'll still I'll read stuff out loud too. And you'll find yourself stopping at words mm -hmm. uh, before it the <laughs> finishes. And so it's like, oh, okay, I should just delete this part, this part. Right. Right <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, when I taught college English, I would always tell my students, um, well, I would always tell them optimistically, you know, finish your papers three days before it's due. <laughs> Two days before it's due, sit down and, and read it to someone. And then on the day before it's due, that's when you when you can uh, you can hear the problems and you can and you can submit your best work. Now, does anybody really do that? I'm no fool. Like <laughs> before at three o'clock in the morning, but <laughs> well, reading is inspiration counts, right? <laughs> Well, I think we are at our half hour mark. Um, so uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you both back in November and to, to dive into the book and, and start my list of questions. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. We're truly, talking. truly our pleasure. And also we have, um, we do have a website. Um, oh wait, can I show the book? Oh yes, must you. Next to my lovely face. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we have a website, and um, as I said, we've we've gone out and talked to book groups, and this is such a lovely new medium for us to explore. Um, there are discussion questions and some extra background material. Also, in the process of you know uh, getting some publicity for the book, we had a couple of different articles published, and those are on our website too. And um, it, it's a good source to stimulate oh, thinking about also, the book. When we launched our book, um, some very good friends who are phenomenal songwriters wrote Jacob's gospel song. They had read the book and they wrote the gospel song and it's amazing. They performed it at the launch and it's an amazing piece. So we, we can send that to you too. You can look at it, listen to oh, it. Absolutely, we would love that. Yeah, we'll share yeah. it with everybody. And Great. that'll be great to share too for Boca de Oro. Yeah. So, okay. Yes, show show and tell a multimedia presentation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so thank much. You. Okay, okay. Bye. Oh, I am going to click off. This was fun. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Yes. Good night. Soon. All right. Bye. bye bye. So now we are on to part two. Part two of the show, uh, and there. They're fun, and I, I'm looking forward to working with them more for March and for November. <coughs> me too. No, well, I think November. I'll be able to read it before March, and you probably won't let me read it before March. No, no. No, I'm going to read it with you because that's why I can't taunt you. <laughs> I will know. I will know when I'm not getting any surprised text messages in November. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I also think it's really funny that Joyce knows the author of our book of the month in January. I know. It's a small world after all. 
And she said Debbie Pratt. That's like when you really know someone. Yeah, yeah. She's still Deborah for us. Maybe that'll change, but after you know, yeah. the end of the month. But Goals. Goals, yes. So what I'm excited about is, okay, I'm only a chapter in. I apologize to everybody, but I had two books to finish up and review this week. So mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Um, that's only Catholicism I know. Um, <laughs> but you're about five chapters in and you like it. I do. You know, this, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say this, that I never read science fiction because now that I'm going back and thinking about some of the books that I've read, I'm pretty sure a large part of, I mean, I love the, I love my thrillers and I love my mystery, but a lot of my books fall into like fantasy science fiction. So mm -hmm. I can't say that this is new ground for me, but usually it's really easy to say I don't like science fiction. It's really easy for people to just jump off and say like, um, I know when it comes to, for me, if it's not historical fiction, I go urban fantasy. Right. So, yeah. That's, that's yeah. your other go-to. Mm -hmm. but, but, um, but this, this is my first science fiction book with um other non-human creatures interacting uh, you know like like the um Ky kyla she is have you you've met her she's in the first chapter right yeah so kyla is a splicer which is not a good term to use that's a bad term that is a rude that's like calling hermione a mudblood Yes, Don't I was just going to say that. <laughs> um, but so, and when I first, you know, you read the description of her and she has like these, um, if, if I'm remembering it correctly, she has like these, like what I'm picturing is like diamond shaped things on her across her chest that kind of change color with her mood. And when I read that, I was like, oh, this is new. I, for me, I would not like that. I don't know about you, but I mean, I don't want a visible mood ring because, <laughs> you know, if you have to pretend like you're being happy, like you're at work, just think about it. You're at work. If you're in customer service, this is not a thing you want in customer service because it could be really, really red, but you have to be really pleasant to the person. On the That's other why side. you work in a call center if you are. <laughs> one of kyla's people yes because then you can easily hide it and if you're anything like us you can put it on you and be like that bitch <laughs> <laughs> that's why you mute it and pray that the mute button never malfunctions <laughs> but um but it's really i i'm really enjoying it so far and when i didn't realize that this was a, a if I did know it, then I forgot that it was a series. Mm -hmm. And I got, you know, all the books arrived in my awesome book box of awesomeness. Um, <laughs> From Chateau, um, Chateau Books, the, her, uh, Deborah's publisher. Uh, yes. For the books, yes. Um, you haven't gotten into that line yet, have you? I haven't. I've been saving it. I really yeah, wanted to open it, but I didn't. Um. But I, I pulled out all the books and I got, and I looked at all of them and I was like, oh man, I really hope I like this because mm -hmm. that, that's five books.
but it's awesome so far. I'm really, I, I like, um, I really like Kyla and there was another girl that, that I came across and I forget I her name. I feel like this is going to be like a pseudo sci-fi Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I don't know, you know. I like the boy get, ending up in like the castle kind of thing, but like that whole friendship gang kind of deal that you get in the later book. Oh, yeah, totally. Because it's totally, I mean, they're a trio. It's Laser, uh, Kyla, and Cashton. That's, I love these names, by the way. I know, the names are awesome. Yes. And I always wonder, you know, when you, you we read these books and we bring the authors on and they talk about their characters like they're real people and we talk about their characters like they're real people. And I always try to picture them at the very beginning coming up with a name and you know the name has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. We're gonna ask, have to ask Deborah about that, about her names. Yeah, because it, they're really good so far. I mean, I, I just flipping through, I, I, caught, I caught another name that was really pretty. So we'll have to see. But what you're going to come across, and the part when I really got started getting like sucked into the novel, uh, was when you learn about the history of the the island that they live on. Um, it goes kind of, it it kind of reaches back into the realm of possibility, mm -hmm. where it talks about, and I don't want to like spoil it for you, but it's not give it's, the premise because I don't know if everybody has the premise for this. Okay, yeah, let's do that first. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, you want me to read? Okay. Well, let's skip over here. Uh, it is the age of light, and three Atlanteans, Laser, Kyla, and Cashton, are struggling to find their place in this rapidly changing world, which stands on the brink of war. Our story begins as our three Atlanteans encounter a newly sentient machine and discover its ever-growing legions of mechanical followers on a quest to conquer Earth dun, 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 and destroy humankind. With the help of a mystical half-human splicer, the leaders of the unified planet Earth must join together to protect all life and secret knowings of the mysterious Norbs and follow an ancient vision quest that holds keys to the universe left by the Earth's magical alien inhabitants. Seriously, this is like... The There's like five... It's like, it's like the magicians and Harry Potter and like... Um, What's that show with the dome? The dome? Is it the dome? I don't. I've, I've never. I've seen like an episode, but that's just yes, maybe. Yeah, then it's the dome. <laughs> so it is the show with the dome. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> but um, so yeah, basically, um you know the polar ice caps melted and the sea levels rose and everything sank but then there was earthquakes and ships of the tectonic plates or whatever they're called and this new island popped up and that's where they're living so she starts out with like i mean that's possible it's not too far of a reach for that to happen Every good science fiction has to start with one shred of reality, whether, and, and this goes for fantasy too, uh, for us as the reader to be able to buy into the author's story, there's got to be something, just a, a little grain that says, yeah, this is plausible. Um, 
so in this case, yeah, we've got the tectonic plates, we've got polar ice caps melting, which is happening right now. So we've got a lot of that going on, so. And I'm really kind of super interested in the little switchblade that he has. Have you read about his switchblade yet? No, I'm only on chapter two. I don't think so, he has a switchblade yet. It's really discomforting that I am ahead of you in this book. Because really don't like being ahead of you. Don't worry, I will fix it as soon as possible because I've cleared out about two or three books out of my reading schedule so I can catch up on this next. Um, I will not be in Vegas because I literally had the thought of, okay, I'm in Vegas. I'm going to read. I'm <laughs> reading done. I'm going to get some writing done while I'm here. Yeah. Um, no. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> so well. I mean, we got there, we checked in, and I swear to God, I don't think we went to bed each night until about two or three o'clock in the morning. Me, on the bachelorette party night, I actually went to bed around two. I actually did get some work done. I spent most of my time like emailing and doing other little things, catching up on some other stuff from the holidays. So people got like 1 a.m. emails from me <laughs> from my hotel room because I wasn't ready to go to sleep yet. And then uh, cause our bachelor party ended at midnight because, you know, girls, we actually have to look nice for the wedding the next day. However, my husband, after his bachelor party, he ended up crashing in a friend's hotel room until about five o'clock in the morning and got up, rolled into our hotel room about a half an hour later down the strip. And I woke his ass up at about 830. <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up having this like completely reverse schedule where we'd go to sleep at three, we'd wake up for the morning go back to sleep at for the afternoon and then wake up at night and do it all over again. So yeah, no writing at all. Yeah. There, I don't even think I text you really that much while you were in Vegas. <coughs> Excuse me. No, but I texted you because I had hilarious stories. Should I share said story? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Okay. So kids, Always remember, burlesque show, not for children. Well, maybe parents always remember burlesque show, not for children. Yeah. Well, I say kids because I mean an audience. This is a story time with Aunt Diana. Um, so for our bachelorette party, we decided to do something slightly classy, slightly naughty. And we did this on the show. Yeah. It's bachelorette. The show itself was phenomenal, but as soon as we sat in the show, we're second row, mind you. I get my friend nudges me, and I look in the front row, and there is a family in front of us. See, family, because there is a mother, a father, a grandmother, a teenage boy, and what looks to be an eight-year-old in the front row of a burlesque show. Yes, that they they expose their eight-year-old to naked women, and the it was it was so bad that the MC had to stop the show and be like, I just want to point out to everybody else here in the audience, just because it was a decent-sized audience. There's a family with an eight-year-old here, and the dad was like, Oh no, he's nine. And the MC's like, Oh, that makes all the world of difference. Because well, nine-year-olds. Yeah, and nine, you should be smoking and drinking as opposed to eight years old. 
I'm just saying. Once you pass that that barrier, like nine is a gateway age. It is. It is. Um, at nine years old, I expect Lily to be right here with us with her own bottle of wine. <laughs> very glad that I swallowed that sip before you said that. <laughs> yeah. So um, he made sure to point them out. And he was like, seriously, I will not be offended if you leave before the show's over. And yeah, they did uh, just before the um, male zombie stripper came out. Because apparently female zombie strippers, okay. Male zombie strippers, not so much. Zombie, huh? Yeah, that was zombie themed. I think, never mind. Um. <laughs> it was very Halloween-esque. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was more Halloween-esque. Halloween I have an itch on my back that is like too far down to scratch and it's very annoying. But anyway, back to our actual discussion. <laughs> so yeah, that was my crazy Las Vegas story. I remember crazy Las Vegas stories. I haven't been to Las Vegas in years, years, like six years, seven years now. We're in 2018. Yeah. I, oh, my God. Three or four years since the last time I was in Las Vegas. And now I probably will not go there unless I can make it to a bachelorette party in October, which don't know how likely that is. Hmm. But anyway. Um. So let's talk, I mean, since you are so far behind me in the book, <laughs> I don't want to give away too much of what I've read. So um, do you want, since you are handling the schedule, do you want to give us a rundown of what we have lined up this month? Oh, sure. I could do that. Um, not to put you on the spot or anything. Oh, no, not at all. Let me just make sure I have the... I'm gonna just change show the events strictly for us theoretically because um, it's all on a calendar here. So next weekend we have Zena on the show, and Zena she is a, a guitar a guitarist, so she's a great musician. Um, I've heard a little bit about of her stuff. Um, she's also involved with the Women's National Book Association and. She has a podcast of her own, and she's got some books out about mantras, and I figured two would be good for January for getting it started off in the right direction and uh, give us some good mantras to help keep the year going in the right direction. And then on the 25th, already on the 25th, two weeks from now, we'll have Deborah on. I got some reading to do. Oh, my gosh. Is it really two weeks from now? That's Good thing I have read so much of the book already. I know. Um, also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. No, go ahead. Um, I have also, I know I mentioned it um, in our last episode of last year. Mm -hmm. um, I started my classic journey yes. of classic literature, and I decided I started reading um, It Can't Happen Here by Lewis Sinclair. And I decided that that was too much of a downer mm -hmm. for the first book of the year. I needed something a little more. About that. Hmm? Uh, about how much of a downer it was. And you had to set it aside and start off for the new one. 
It was, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting beginning and it's so plausible. I think I highlighted like half a dozen paragraphs as I was reading it going, oh my God, this is actually happening or this <laughs> has happened. Um, but I, I postponed, um, it can't happen here. And I chose a wrinkle in time, uh, two things, three things about a wrinkle in time that I did not know. Number one, it is a series of five books. Yeah, you must read all five books. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and number two, if you go to Barnes & Noble to buy the second book in the series, it is all sold out. You could only buy the box set of all five. Oh, that's ridiculous. Well, you know, and number three, well, I already knew this, but uh, the movie comes out March 9th. Mm-hmm. So anyone who wants to pick it up and reread it or read it for the first time, like I did, uh, do it now. Yeah. Because it is also available on Audible. Sorry, my so. dog is scratching herself, deciding that now is a good time to get that itch <laughs> in her back, just like you, and just shake the hell out of her collar. Um, but it's available on Audible as well. I think that's going to be my Audible book of the month. It's so good. <laughs> like it kind of blows my mind that you know I mean this book wasn't written that long ago I think it was written in 1963 mm -hmm. or six, it, it won uh, 1962 or 1963 I think it was written and it's all there are so many different themes going on in this book it's there's a very strong um, theological theme to it and, and religion plays into it and then it's all science, and which is interesting because science and religion don't often uh, coexist very nicely. I think A Wrinkle in Time has actually been on the banned book list. Really? I think so. We're going to have to check that. Because yeah, I think in oh. September we're going to have to celebrate banned books. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't The Wizard of Oz a banned book? Almost any book that is of any worth is banned in some library. I mean, you've got Shel Silverstein, Where the Sidewalk Ends, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, which I find ironic that To Kill a Mockingbird is on the banned book list because of racism, when it's about the, it is about racism, but it's about overcoming racism in a racist town. So, yeah, the logic of these banned books is ridiculous. Yeah, Wizard of, The Wizard of Oz was banned because of um, the fact that it had a, a independent female lead. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. The world's gonna come to an end. Well, I mean, uh, Shel Silverstein, where the sidewalk ends, there's a poem about a girl who doesn't wanna do the dishes. It was banned in a library because it would encourage young girls to not wanna do the dishes. I'm sorry, but I don't need a book to discourage me. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Um, so yes, A Wrinkle in Time is banned, is one of the banned books. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, challenged slash banned mm -hmm. uh, under the allegations that the story promotes witchcraft, crystal balls, and demons, mm. under objection to the book's use of the name of Jesus Christ in relation to other artists, philosophers, scientists, and religious leaders. Uh, frequently challenged for undermining religious beliefs, 
and it is ranked, it was ranked number 22 in the ALA, I don't know what the ALA is, uh, thank you, uh, 100 most banned books for 1990 to 2000. Mm -hmm. I was in the sixth or seventh grade when we, um, when we read it. And I think at that age, it was a little bit over my head. So you have to read it again. Yeah, I want to read it again, especially because I want to go see the movie because Oprah, Reese and Minnie Kaling are queens in that movie. I swear to God, they look amazing. They do. And if you read the book, um, you'll totally nerd out over the previews because like, you're like, oh, my God, I read that. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to that. Um, one of the things that I'm doing, I was talking to you about um, possibly incorporating into your um, thing. Um, is sorry, she got Santa brought her squeaky balls, and now it's like all about the squeaky ball. Um, but the Pulitzer Prize list. Reading. Yes, I think that might be my next challenge. Well, and you're also having to read the classics, and the number of classics are in that. And I mean, I am just like a. A reading machine right now. I read A Wrinkle in Time in like three days. I'm reading this. I'm like five chapters in when normally by this point in the month I've read the title page and I'm freaking out that I haven't. Like two places right now. It's very strange. And I'm reading a new thriller that I picked up called A Twist of Faith, which is really good. I saw it on uh, Pros and Palettes Instagram page, and I had to buy it. I love her Instagram page. I know. I do, too. It's always so pretty. It is. Once my book gets published, she's going to be, like, one of the first people I send my book to. And it's going to be Excuse in her so that she can make pretty pictures with it. I will make pretty pictures with it. I get oh, the first one. You're going to get a book, too. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. You're one of the ones up there, but she's up there, too. I mean, you go without saying that you're going to get a book. I mean, come on now. You're going to have acknowledgments. At least let her have a hard copy of the book for her Instagram page. Fine. I might cry. <laughs> yeah, of excitement, not because she got a hard hardcover book. Oh, maybe so. Different yeah, reasons to cry. <laughs> I just realized in my head I got super excited that I had ice cream, and then I just realized that I ate it all before <laughs> the episode, and then I got really sad. That's I know. I guess we're excited. There's a um, real estate agent, the one who brought me the wine that I was drinking um, last month. He brought in muffins today. And I was like, oh, I'm so happy. Because I was the best clients. Right? He's not even a client. He's a real estate agent. He's a vendor. And my boss was joking uh, today to another attorney that, um, you know, he's trying to get on my good side. And I was like, no, he's already gotten on my good side. <laughs> we're already there. We're already there. It's too late. He's broken the gap. I mean, he's he's one of our going to be one of our go-to real estate agents because everybody's got a price. And mine is wine and muffins. No, mostly the wine. I usually end up taking one muffin and giving it to one of the other offices. So I take one for myself and then I share the love. But yeah, the wine. I wine. Well, I do believe we are just about at an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone, um, keep reading the Atlantean mm -hmm. and, uh, next week we will be back with another special guest and more discussion and more wine. Mm -hmm. 
So have a good night, everyone. Good night. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.